You are listening to a special investigation on sexual education and awareness among the Little Village community as part of a partnership between Yolo Cali Arts Reach in Little Village and the Social Justice News Nexus at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. We didn't really talk about that either, like how to communicate with your partner about sex. The boys in the class were kind of like not paying attention. They were like, ew, what is this? I feel like what the church is teaching young people about sex is how to avoid it. I was somebody that played with dolls and my dad would, he would like scream at me, he would hit me. And... People will do it whether or not you're telling them not to. Parents are very awkward when it comes to talking about sex. It was very intimidating. I never liked my sex at class. <laughs> What are schools teaching our youth? How well informed are youth? Dilemmas between cultural norms, religion, school facts, and reality. The work of community organizations, health institutions, providing resources to educate families. Acceptance of the LGBTQ community. Let's talk about consent and sexual wellness. Let's open the conversation. Okay, so I'm here with Melissa, um, who, as we said at the top of the show, was kind of the inspiration for this uh, investigation. And Melissa, one of the main reasons that you wanted to investigate this topic was because of LGBTQ issues, or rather the lack therefore in your classes. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your experience? Yeah, when I took my sex ed course in high school freshman year, I noticed how there was no, they didn't address any LGBTQ issues revolving or even sexual orientation or gender expression and I found that very concerning because I mean judging you're like a freshman in high school you're just like you're a teenager so you're like barely exploring yourself you're finding out who you are and seeing that these sex ed courses lack there didn't even address these subjects it's just concerning because then I don't know you create you make youth more questionable and you make them more I don't know. It just creates a really bad environment where they they're not as open, they're not as receptive and like asking questions or figuring out who they are. Right. And so one of the things that we all noticed when we first started doing this um, investigation is that on paper, that's actually not supposed to be the case at all. Right. What, what, what were some of the things that you found when we started looking at the actual curriculum as it's supposed to be? Well, when I started um, exploring the curriculum and all, they actually start addressing gender expression and sexual orientation throughout, like, introduction at, like, around grade 7. And they also learn about the um, gender expression and sexual orientation, so that's one of their lessons. And, like, they learn how to how these attitudes influence themselves and what's the best way to ex- express themselves through their gender and sexual orientation. Right. Um, so you spoke to some students um, about this issue and, and whether or not they had addressed these uh, topics in their class. You want to tell us a little bit about this clip? So, yeah, I interviewed some students and asked them what their sex ed course and like if they were addressed any LGBTQ issues. Did they focus enough on women's issues? Not really. They didn't really talk anything about abortion and you know, having different choices. All they really talked about was just birth control. He did for both equally. Yeah, I feel like through sex ed, we focus more on like the female body more than the male body. I feel like they should have like put more attention to the male body too. No, not at all. I think so. I don't remember. Did they focus enough on LGBTQ issues? I don't think they really talked about that either. No. 
in my opinion i feel like it is important because i feel like that will just give more knowledge to people and better understanding instead of like judging something that you should know more like about it yeah no, no. they she didn't mention lgbtq at all i wish she would have because well personally i'm part of like the community and i know a lot of students in that classroom that i had they were also part of like the lgbtq community no there's actually very little in my school like that are out i guess yeah. like, there's only like even recently to my last year i started seeing more freshmen coming in that are lgbt but i feel like the past years it has been kind of like non-existent in that school mm -hmm. just because i feel like a lot of kids are afraid I only had one friend that was, he, he declared himself as gay, but other than that, it was very low. No. What advice would you have for schools teaching sex ed? Get qualified teachers. Get people who've like actually like gone to courses and gotten certificates and stuff like that. I feel like, in my opinion, that if a teacher wants to, like, was willing to teach, like, sex ed, that they should go, like, all the way through and explain everything to an extent, like, so the students are, like, full of knowledge and, like, so mistakes aren't, like, occurring. Definitely to focus more on, like, the LGBTQ community, because, like, even if, like, I feel like they should, because, like, what if ki some kids, they're not informed about it, and they're, like, part of that community, and they're too scared to say something about it? I feel like they should focus more on that, and definitely more birth control. Be more open to the reality of what is a teenager's mind like. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, just be more open to, like, teaching actual such stuff, not just scaring them off, because people will do it whether or not you're telling them not to. Yeah, so it's, like, I feel like teachers these days, I think they have gotten a little grasp on it, but... Back then, like, it's just been, well, when I had my sex ed class, like, it was just not something that they wanted us to have. Like, it was just very obvious. I think it's just for it to be more time on explaining, like, all the topics and being able to cover, like, everything instead of, oh, just being, like, oh, three months of this and then there. So what I get hearing that clip just now is a lot of frustration at the fact that, you know, these students are not learning the things that they want to learn or in some cases need to learn about themselves. And Melissa, I know that you looked at the curriculum to see some of the lessons that students are supposed to be receiving. So can you tell me a little bit about those? Yes. So as I mentioned before, they start um, learning about gender expression and sexual orientation around seventh grade. Then they continue learning about it eighth grade first year of high school, and lastly, 12th grade. So for their last lesson in 12th grade, they're required to like address gender identity, create a more respectful environment for gender expression and sexual orientation, and advocate for a culture of tolerance and like respect in school communities. And just seeing, a, a, there's since you mentioned, like there's a lot of teenagers with fear, and just seeing this is like what CPS lack. It's clearly a trend that if we don't, address these certain topics and the same hurtful environment is going to happen. So Melissa, you spoke to several students on this topic. Did anyone you spoke to actually have the experience of receiving these lessons um, the way that they were laid out in the curriculum? No, as you heard in the Vox Pop, none of them were addressed to sexual orientation, gender expression, or any sort of like LGBTQ issue happening. So yeah. So unfortunately, um, we did reach out to CPS, uh, Chicago Public Schools, for comment on this topic, but they did not reply in time for this broadcast. Um, Melissa, are there other resources that students can access um, when it comes to these issues of identity, 
um, and sexual orientation? Yes. So resources like, um, so like Cueva is actually a very like LGBTQ friendly. So any teenager or any young adult who has issues or questions, they can go to La Cueva. They also offer free SDI screenings. And another resource is Planned Parenthood, who also helps you with gender expression and sexual orientation. Another one is a collaboration with Project Vita and um, Howard Brown, which they also offer SDI screenings. And there's also another program mentioned, a Broadway Youth Initiative, where they welcome a lot of um, LGBTQ youth who basically are questioning and need help in whatever their life is going. Turning back to CPS really briefly, um, is there anything else that the public schools in the area are trying to do for, for queer and, um, and other LGBT plus students? Yes, so recently CPS is proud to be part of National Out for the Safe Schools campaign and it is launched to ensure like any LGBTQ students and families to feel welcome, affirmed in their school and campuses. And yeah, I just think it's very crucial because like survey in 2013 also mentioned that 10% of these students were harassed by someone because they were in the LGBTQ community and it just creates a very hurtful environment for them and not a very progressive environment in general. Absolutely. So hopefully, you know, if someone needs them, there are the resources for you. Melissa, thank you so much. So in our discussion of sexual education topics so far, we've pretty much talked within the context of heterosexual relationships. The lack of LGBTQ plus sexual education in CPS, Chicago Public Schools, has been an important subject of study for us. For my master's thesis, I produced a documentary on the queer community of La Villita, focusing on the subjective experience of members of the community to create a snapshot of LGBTQ plus acceptance in La Villita and to explore how the community has changed throughout the years. I talked to different community activists and leaders, like Emmanuel Garcia, a former member of Proyecto Vida, Jorge Valdivia, the founder of Homo Frequencia, Ariana Salgado, a Dyke March organizer, and Gio Macias Valadez, a student at Yolo Cali and a youth radio personality. The idea to do this project came out of our discussions of the lack of comprehensive LGBTQ sexual education in schools, which led to us talking about the status of LGBTQ individuals in Little Village. Little Village is a unique space for the queer community in Chicago in general, due to the hosting of the Dyke March in the neighborhood in the past three years, and the presence of La Cueva, the nation's oldest Latinx drag bar. People have this idea, perception, opinion of what a Mexican community is like um, for many. I think that there are multiple truths to a story. While it is true that uh, Little Village can be, um, it, it is Catholic, um, strongly Catholic. Um, it's also true that Little Village has been home to the longest, oldest, longest running, oldest uh, drag Latin bar in the entire country. So to have these two coexisting, two, these two stories coexisting simultaneously is how it's different. <laughs> Among other things, the documentary explores queerness and religion, family acceptance, machismo, and internalized homophobia. Perceptions of the queer community in Little Village differ. For the most part, La Villita is becoming more and more accepting of LGBTQ people as the queer community becomes more visible and outspoken. 
I learned that often the determining factor for a person's acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community was whether they personally knew someone who identified as a member of the community. With more visibility comes more acceptance. The single most important act of that, uh, form of activism that we can ever make in our lives is to be authentic to ourselves and to come out, whether whatever that is. Despite prejudice from individuals, La Vita comes together in support for its loved ones in the LGBTQ plus community. This outpouring of acceptance is especially visible during the Dyke March, where organizer Ariana Salgado said she feels welcomed by the community and comfortable showing all her identities at the march. We got really, the first year, you know, really, really good responses um, from folks prior to the march and then, you know, during the march as well. Um, I think I'll, I'll like never forget right once we were kind of marching down a residential area to, um, you know, once we were getting closer to the park, there were families who came out and were giving like, you know, popsicles and things like that. And, you know, some came out with like the rainbow flags. And that was just really beautiful, you know, to see um, here in Little Village and, you know, march down as kind of your full self, right? And have your community be really excited <laughs> to see you. I feel like it felt really great. Nobody knew what to expect, but the people came out into the streets to applaud the Dyke March. For someone who grew up in Little Village, that was, it was very moving to see like women coming out and turn us on. At the end of the day, Little Village is a live and let live community, and the community becomes more accepting through individuals being authentic to themselves. I would say, who here doesn't have a plate to eat when they're sitting down at noon? Who here doesn't bleed blood? Who here doesn't have to put on their pants, their skirts, their whatever, every single day in the morning just to go to work? We all do, so why don't we all just accept each other how we are? This has been Katie Rice for Yolo Cali. Special thanks to Yolo Cali for allowing me to produce and film my documentary here. We just heard quite a bit about LGBTQ identity and issues. And we think it's important to mention at this point that heteronormativity is actually pretty ingrained and ingratiated into the current sexual education curriculum in the state of Illinois. In fact, the Illinois sex ed laws uh, require course material and instruction to teach, and this is a quote, honor and respect for monogamous heterosexual marriage. Now, Katie, this is something that you actually um, addressed or, or investigated a little bit in your documentary, which uh, we heard some clips of earlier, correct? Well, not necessarily with regard to the Illinois law, but a lot of people were talking about the role of religion in perpetuating these beliefs about machismo, gender roles, and heteronormative relationships, and just heteronormativity in general. That's a good point. In a Latinx community such as Little Village, we really cannot talk about sex without talking about the Catholic Church. As Katie just said, they are one of the largest perpetuators of heteronormativity. And uh, we actually spoke to some students, f some female students, about the impact that that's had on their lives. What church do you attend and how does it relate to what you learn about sex? I go to Tepeyac which is on Cermak in Albany. I don't think the church really talked anything about sex. Like during my catechism classes, like church school, they didn't really talk about anything. I attend St. Agnes of Bohemia. When it comes to sex, they, they believe that you should have it like after marriage. 
I feel like that's not a really good way of like explaining. I feel like you could like go towards that situation like a different way because I feel like by the way they say it, it's like it makes people feel bad and like it's not a bad thing. Like that's how people you could say like are born like made in general. It's like they should not portray it as like something bad. It's just like it should be something like or they should get like for example like give groups or like make meetings or like for young adults or like youth like. Oh, this is the safe way to do it. Just to prevent. Oh, I go to St. Agnes Stone right there. And I don't know, I don't pay attention. <laughs> is that bad? I actually go to a Hillsong church. It's called City Church Chicago. They actually don't talk about it at all. If anything, like the couples are kind of afraid to be together when they go to church. It's kind of very like, I always just notice that like, why aren't they sitting together? Sometimes it's just like that. Like they just feel like it's like a sign of, I don't know, if they sit together and like are like very cuddly, like mm -hmm. so they see it as a bad thing, but I don't think they, they completely uh, like bash on it or like, oh, that's shameful. But like, I just feel like they have some type of respect. I don't think it's respect because it's not disrespectful to be with your partner in church, right? But it's just like some type of like boundaries, I guess. I don't really go to church, but if I do, and here and there, it's Good Shepherd, and I don't think that it relates to anything. How did you learn about sex? Maybe a class in school or the talk with your parents? Some schoolyard rumors, tidbits from pop culture, and roughly 90% of the internet? Each of these definitely plays a role in how kids develop their perceptions of sex. But in a Latino community like Little Village, one source of information looms large above the rest, the Catholic Church. Their message is clear as a bell. I feel like what the church is teaching young people about sex is how to avoid it. I feel like all the church teaches about sex is to not do it. So my name is Camila Reese. I'm 16 years old. I attend Little Village Lawndale High School. I'm a sophomore there. And the church I attend is St. Agnes of Bohemia. I've been going to St. Agnes of Bohemia as long as I could remember. Um, I was baptized there, and I go to church very frequently. My parents are pretty religious. They love going to church every Sunday, so I've really just grown up there. We're never really taught about sex at all. You know, growing up in a Catholic household, in a religious household in general, you're never giving the birds and the bees talk in depth, you know? You get told, this is a woman's body part, this is a man's body part. This goes into this use this condom to like be safe but do it when you're in marriage never do this you know and it's just that no explanation of like the eggs no explanations on the semen no explanation on how what other ways to avoid getting pregnant no other information on what to do if you do get pregnant you know we're only taught like the basics of it but they never told us about yeast infections they never told us about stds they never told us how to take care of our bodies, you know? And I feel like that's a journey that you have to take on your own. And it's kind of sad how a lot of people don't know about it, you know? That don't know about the places they can go and look for help, you know? I feel like definitely in the Latin community, there's a lot of like closed mindedness when it comes to sex because it's something that's not supposed to be talked about. 
That closed-mindedness and silence around sex has had a particular impact on the young women of the community. I'm Stephanie. I attend the St. Anna's Church, like right around here. Last time they were talking about how girls at church were, when they went to attend church, they shouldn't be wearing short shorts. They were like shaming it. I'm like, what does a girl's, what she's wearing have to do with attending church and all that? They were kind of sexist over there at that time. One of my confirmation classes, our catechist, he showed us a, a movie that was basically the Christian lifestyle and how the man is seen as, you know, the breadwinner, as like the provider, how the woman is like the caregiver, you know, with the gentle touch and like how she has to care for her family and all this and this. I'm like, and they were just talking about these gender norms. I felt like I wanted to debate because I see myself as an individual. You know, I was born an individual, so why should I rely on somebody to do things I can do for myself? You know, I'm a very independent person, right? Personally, I feel like religion isn't important to me because I haven't really had a connection with God in that type of way. I feel like I stick with the church mostly because it makes my parents happy. <laughs> Beyond the impact on young women, the church also has a big influence on the queer community in the Little Village. Katie, this is definitely something you saw in your uh, video, right? Yeah, absolutely. So people share differing experiences with the Catholic Church and the Catholic community in Little Village. Um, some people shared some negative experiences overall, but they were mostly secondhand. None of the people that I interviewed personally had had a particularly negative experience, but they told me that friends had been, they had felt that the church was prejudiced against them. They had talked to priests and the priest said, oh, just pray it away. Uh, just don't think about it, that sort of thing. Um, but of the people I interviewed, they said that their experiences had been for the most part, positive. Um, I had one person, Gio, actually said that uh, during a mass, his priest said, we need to pray for our LGBTQ um, members of the congregation because they need it the most. And uh, Jorge was talking about his experience with his mom, who is very religious, talking about how she not so, I wouldn't quite say, came to terms uh, with his homosexuality, with his queerness, but how she found a place within her religion where she could accept both God and his edicts and Jorge's queerness. So there's definitely some nuance there um, as far as the relationship between people's individual identities in the church. You know, luckily, Katie, you had some clips there um, showing us the more positive side of people coming to terms with both ends of that. But we also have heard from some people about the stigmas and misconceptions that are more broadly found in a community like Little Village. We have this machismo in the Mexican culture, which it's really hard to just, you know, ignore that. Machismo, for people who might not know, it's pretty much like, think of it as like a man who's being sexist. So it's like men, you know, typically Mexican men, because that's where the word really came from. They would be like, I want a woman that knows how to cook. I want a woman that would give me kids, you know, um, a woman that, Every time I come back from work, she would please me, you know, basically like be focused on the, ma the males. And they would try to spread that too with their children. And then like, you see it a lot, like just like women can't actually like be more dominant than a man can as in like, oh, they can't really go out and get jobs or things like that. That's the one thing I wish we could change about Little Village, uh, the internalized homophobia that is still there. 
within people who identify as LGBTQ+. You know, there's this fear, not for everyone, of course, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have drag queens on stage. And we do. And they sparkle. And they're pretty. I think that things are changing, you know? Uh, because, like, <laughs> you go to, like, what about on a Saturday night? A Friday night. It's packed. I mean, packed. It's kind of interesting because um, you know that these same people are, are going to church the following day. One of the more interesting things that we found in our investigation was the level of fear and uncomfortableness that not only students, young folk have, but even adults have when it comes to talking about sex. And this inevitably leads to misinformation and misconceptions about health, really, more than anything, and, and issues that inherently come with sexual and physical relationships. So in exploring these topics in our investigation, we found that a lot of these topics would lead back to the subject of machismo and gender roles within the community. Like we talked about previously, different gender identities weren't necessarily discussed in talking about healthy relationships and healthy sexual relationships. Neither was homosexuality or anything like that. So in our investigation, we found that a lot of what's being discussed is very heteronormative, very pro-traditional gender roles, as we talked about with the Illinois legislation on sexual education in schools before as well. Yeah, so when students and teachers aren't allowed to have a productive dialogue about these topics, um, inevitably students come away with misinformation and stigma because they think that there's an inherent shame to a subject when they're not allowed to talk about it. And those misconceptions and stigmas don't just go away when somebody graduates from high school. Someone has to put in the effort and the time to either seek out that information themselves or somebody else has to put in the effort and the time to seek out the people who are misinformed and tell them what is the correct information. And luckily there are a lot of great resources and organizations that are attempting to do that in our communities. Because of the machismo and because of the focus on heteronormativity, a lot of those misconceptions and those stigmas still persist. And sometimes religion is a barrier, too. People feel some kind of religious shame to not talk about certain topics. Yeah, I think it's really important to destigmatize things. I think with stigma, it's a, a huge barrier to even just getting into the door of healthcare, whether it's for HIV and STIs, whether it's for like self-identity. These things can cause someone to just not access services or care or any type of thing, whether it's like education or those types of barriers. And so stigma has a huge role in playing into how people move their around their life. I think in specific regards to HIV and STIs, we've always seen it as a bad thing. But when we approach it from a sex positive angle, it's not a bad thing. People should have sex if they want to. It's fun. And as long as you're doing it in an informed and educated way, then there's nothing really wrong with it and that should be fine. We get a lot of questions. And so I think some people still think that HIV can be spread through casual contact, um, and that's not a mode of transmission for HIV. HIV is transmitted through um, blood, semen, vaginal fluids, breast milk, and anal fluids as well. And so people think that maybe saliva is a method of passing HIV, or like if I touch something that someone had, or I drink out of their glass, um, 
they, a lot of people think that that is still the case or that only gay people get it. HIV does not discriminate, so nor do other STIs. And so other people think that like only if you're like dirty or promiscuous that you can get an HIV and RCI, another STI. And that's not the case either. You can get it on the first time you've had sex and have been a virgin before and now you have some type of infection. And so I think that there's this high stigma that only certain people in certain populations contract this virus and that's not necessarily the case or other viruses infections so i haven't necessarily been offering the care as much on the manager side of things but i know that like from my employees i've heard back that like they think that if they like have sex upside down or something like that they won't get pregnant or there's like different theories about like oh if you practice it this way you won't get this and what has also come up recently was that like only certain races can get certain things or are more associated with certain infections. I mean, that's not the case either. So that clip right there, we just heard from Antonio Elizondo of Howard Brown. And he definitely, you know, brought up some of the issues uh, and misconceptions that are prevalent in his line of work. And Combating that is not easy, even for someone like himself who has resources and, and an organization behind him. You know, this is a really important, if unfortunately uncomfortable topic. It is really important for people to know these things and to have these conversations. If the youth of the community don't feel comfortable talking to their parents, to their teachers, to people that they admire and respect to have these conversations about these resources, they're going to turn to some potentially harmful sources of information that might even misinform the students. So it's important that students feel comfortable talking to people that they trust about these topics and realizing that there shouldn't be a stigma about your own personal health. So it's equally as important that organizations have these resources to provide young members of the community or really anyone who wants to learn about um, their body and provide these kind of resources to these individuals. Right. So, you know, parents, students, teachers, community leaders, everybody needs to get to a place where they feel more comfortable having these conversations because it really is, at the end of the day, people's health and lives on the line um, when people are misinformed, they're going to make mistakes and they're going to make choices that they can't take back. And the better people are informed, the less likely that is to happen and the healthier we all end up being. Everybody has a body and it's their responsibility to learn about it and explore it in healthy, productive ways. But at the same time, it's also everyone's responsibility to make sure that we're creating a community that is accepting of different bodies and different types of people and create safe spaces for people to have conversations and ask the questions that they need to ask to make sure that they're staying healthy. If we've learned anything from this investigation, it's the importance of having open conversation and fostering dialogue about subjects that we might be uncomfortable with in order to dismantle some of the stigma, misinformation, and misconceptions that are so prevalent around sexual health topics and just health topics in general. And that's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. But yeah, we all just need to pitch in and make sure that we are open and willing to have these conversations. 